All right, well, it's a blessing to be with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Darren's a little under the weather, and um, so he sends his greetings, and we'll be lifting him up, hopefully for a quick recovery. Uh, but I'm, I'm blessed and, and glad to be with you this morning. We're going to be picking up where he left off last week in Matthew 4. Um, and so we'll be doing verses 12 through 17. And if I put it in, into kind of a quick phrase, it'd be the message for all people. The message for all people. All right. Uh, many years ago, uh, there was a group of very prominent liter- literary men a gathering in a clubhouse in London uh, in the evening and uh, for their typical uh, hanging out time. And um, I guess in my picture, I see them kind of that smoke-filled room, and they're all having conversation and sitting in their big leather padded chairs and uh, wood panel walls. But anyway, so here they are. They're gathered, and they're kind of having their discussion, and they begin to talk about illustrious figures from the past. And so that conversation goes a little bit, and finally one of the guys in the room says, hey, what would we do if Milton walked into this room? And one of these guys in his British um, accent, I can't do his accent, I'll just read what he said. Um, Ah, maybe I'll try. said, we would give him such an ovation as might compensate for the tardy recognition accorded him by other men of his own day. Another guy said, what about Shakespeare? And then another guy said, well, we would arise and crown him the master of song. And then a guy said, what about if Jesus Christ walked into the room? And there was silence. And then a man by the name of Charles Lamb said, I think if Jesus walked in the room, we would fall on our faces. Our great king. We just sang to our great God. And I'm so glad that he rescued me in the late 70s. Young teenager wrestling with life and questions and and I'm just so glad that in that moment when it crystallized, when I realized that I couldn't earn anything in terms of God's eyes, that I had to totally surrender to him. And that relief and that peace when I just asked for forgiveness and put my faith and trust there. And God has been so faithful. He's been with me every step of the way. Um, January 15th this year, I believe it was, the, Gene will correct me later if I pronounce it wrong, the Hunga Tonga eruption. Um, but it, it, it went off in the Pacific. Yes, all right. Uh, but I was reading about it, and it puts off these waves. They call them lamb waves. Um, and it said these waves, as it radiated out from this eruption, it went around the earth six days, just around and around and around. And um, I, I thought about it, and then I thought of that event 2,000 years ago when Christ gave his life. And that is still rippling through the centuries, as powerful today as it was when he rose from the grave. And we're, we're here, and we're grateful. A man by the name of Lecky said this about Jesus' ministry. He said, the three short years of public ministry of Jesus have done more to soften and regenerate mankind than all the moralizing of all the moralists and all the philosophizing of all the philosophers for all time. 
our great God. And, and we're picking up here in Matthew where Jesus, as we see in chapter 3, he's, he went through the baptism, and then in beginning of chapter 4 when he hit the wilderness in 40 days and temptation, and, and, and then when the, Satan left him and the angels began to minister to him, and then at some point he comes out of that wilderness and comes back onto the public scene and people. And that's where we're going to pick up today, uh, verse 12. So let's read it, uh, Matthew 4, starting in verse 12. It says, When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and he left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Pray that you would just bless, that you would teach us. And uh, Lord, that we would be uh, ready to follow your leading in our lives. And we ask this in your son's most precious name. Amen. All right, so as Jesus comes out of that, of that time, and I guess he, as he get, regained his strength and, and got back into the public scene, he gets word. Now, I don't know if he heard about it through Buzz or somebody who knew Jesus came up and told him this word, but told him basically, your cousin's arrested. And that cousin, John the Baptist, was arrested by King Herod. And, of course, Herod was pretty upset with John. John was, was pointing out that, hey, you married your brother's wife. That's wrong. And Herod didn't take kindly to that. And at some point, he finally, it was like, I've had enough. And he had John arrested, and here's Jesus getting that word. And I don't know between birth and 30 how much time John and Jesus had, but I, I picture they had, they had some time in those years together and, and some closeness. Uh, but certainly, just in chapter 3, when we see John and him there in the Jordan River, and uh, Jesus gets this word that somebody he knows well, has been arrested, and in those days, that is not a pleasant thing, and being in prison was not a pleasant, a clean, a safe environment, but that's where John is, and then it says, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. Now, Galilee, kind of, if you want to get a picture of it, it's about a 25 miles by 35 mile area, very heavily populated, Um, and it's right there uh, in the northern province of Palestine, and it was estimated that about 350,000 people lived in this area. So pretty, pretty tight quarters. Uh, and each, there were a lot of villages in that area. And they, they even say maybe about 15,000 in each, roughly. Um, but this is the place where Jesus goes. And when I think about it, 350,000, they say about 100,000 were Jews. So in this place where Jesus is going to... Going to 100,000 Jews, 250,000 Gentiles. And this is where Jesus heads. Now, some would think, as I was reading, they would speculate, well, maybe he's trying to avoid Herod, you know, so he didn't head to Jerusalem. Um, 
But, you know, Herod had control of a lot, including the area Jesus went. But, you know, Jesus feared no man. Um, matter of fact, kings trembled at, at, the, at the word of Jesus and the presence of Jesus. We see that even in uh, chapter 2 and then I think chapter 14, if you want to look. Um, so Jesus went there, I think, not to avoid Herod, but he went because it was where he was supposed to be and where he was going to base camp, so to speak. Um, so as he went, matter of fact, he went and not only was, I mean, I think it's Luke 13, the Pharisees actually said, Jesus, you need to leave. Herod wants to kill you. He didn't, and he had no fear again. So he withdrew into Galilee. Verse 13, he left Nazareth. And he went to live in the Capernaum by the sea, in, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Um, Nazareth, we know that's, that was Jesus' home, home, kind of in the hill country of, uh, up in that area of Galilee, about 20 miles from where he is now in this passage. And it was kind of a, just kind of a village off, kind of a hole-in-the-wall village. And that's where Jesus was, but now he is going here to this place. And it's a lot more crowded as we've uh, picked up here. And in Capernaum, fishing, there was farming. There was a Roman garrison with, they think, about 100 soldiers. When I think 100 soldiers keeping up with 350,000 people, I don't... Romans, I guess, they carried a lot of weight uh, for them to think that's enough. But uh, that was it. And there was, of course, a tax collecting station. And then I think Matthew... Uh, but anyway, so here's Jesus, and he's going into this place, um, and he's going to spend the bulk of his uh, public ministry in this region. Not all of it, but a good portion of it. Um, this area, when Jesus arrived, the Romans had already were in control, and they had placed a stone road. And so you could go from Syria into here and then on into Caesarea by this stone path. And so it was a lot of commerce, a lot of people in and out, and, of course, a lot of people living there. So... Jesus has, I believe he went there to minister to all people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think when, in my life, when I've read scripture, I've kind of pictured, you know, the bulk of Jesus' ministry was just, it was all the Jews. Um, there was a lot of that. But also, there was a, a lot of ministry uh, with others, with the Gentiles. And um, here's a place where it's, I guess it's a target rich people of both, Jews and Gentiles, right there. And here's Jesus, and he's going to camp there and, uh, and basically preach, teach, heal, and show the evidence that he is the Messiah. And, of course, Matthew's certainly writing that, and that's what we're reading, Matthew's account. Uh, and Matthew, his uh, audience for his writing was the Jews. But for us as Gentiles, we obviously get a blessing from it, too, as we read it. Um, Verse 14, it says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Now remember, Matthew, he's writing every time. If you read through Matthew, when he has opportunity, because he's writing to the Jews, and he wants to point them to the evidence we call the Old Testament, he's pointing and saying, Jesus fulfilled this over and over. And so here he is, he's, he's quoting and uh, referring to Isaiah. Um, and Isaiah called this place that Jesus is in now. He calls it the Galilee of the Gentiles. 
And I think we just got to picture that when the bulk of the people there are Gentiles. Um, when we go back to Judges, so give you a little more background on the area, God told them to drive out the people. Because the people that were there when the Hebrews went into the, the promised land, they had their false gods. They were against the Lord. Uh, they had their pagan idols. They had all this stuff, and, and God said, drive them out. But they didn't. And we see through the Old Testament the repercussions for that for God's people. The two tribes that failed that mandate to drive them out were these two, Zebulun and Naphtali. And so this area, it's, it's called the Galilee of the Gentiles. And so even when the Jews were taken off into Babylonian captivity, this is a pretty good fishing area and farming, and foreigners came in. And so we, we fast forward here to Jesus, and the, of course they're back, the Jews are back from captivity, but uh, the area is heavily populated Gentiles, and so that's where it gets its nickname, or it's, it's how it's referred to, the Galilee of the Gentiles. So Jesus goes into this place to do ministry. Now, I looked at several places trying to get this king's name, and so I'm going to butcher his name, but he's not here to um, correct me on his pronunciation. Aristobulus. All right, Aristobulus was a king. He came on the scene. Josephus, the church historian, talked of this guy. He came in, uh, and he was the first after the Babylonian captivity to claim to be king and to take the high priesthood, both. Now, as I was reading, the Sadducees were like, whatever. The Pharisees were enraged because they were like, no, king's got to be from the line of David. But this guy came in, and he came into this region. And, of course, there are a lot of foreigners, and so he decided he was going to make the foreigners begin to adapt the Jewish customs and all that. He had all the males circumcised. He did a lot of stuff. And, of course, that area, they became very hostile to the God of Israel and to the God, things of God. And that's the setting as Jesus comes in. The bulk of the people are Gentiles. They are opposed to the things of God, you'd almost think, well, go to Jerusalem, kind of home base there. All the Jews are there, and then, and then you can work your way out. And he went to where he could minister to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 15, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. All right, and, you know, a lot of us can go, oh, I, I recognize, I've, we, we read that, we hear it at Christmas, at the Advent, you know, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light when Christ came on the scene in a dark world. Uh, but here, here, if we want to get a picture of where Jesus is now, it is darkness. And in not, we're not just talking physical, we're talking spiritual darkness, oppression. And we live in a place, in a world that's like that. And I don't know if you've gone where you can sense in your spirit when you're in a setting where this just feels awful. I'm just, I, you know, and I, I know in my life, when, when I feel like I'm in a place like that, it, I'm real quick to want to be praying because I want, I want to be close with God when I'm in, when I'm in a rough place and I want to trust him. Uh, 
when we've camped and, you know, the lights are all the fires out and everything is dark. And, you know, you just kind of want to stay close because you can't see out. Um, even, even last night we left a graduation party and it wasn't dark, dark. She had street lights, but we're, we're in a dark spot and Caleb and I were walking to our car and we were kind of commenting about how noises in the woods sound bigger. And I went like that. And there was rustling, and we walked a little more, and I went, and like that one, and next, you know, something's running at me. And I, I think I jumped first before it did, but it was a possum. But he was running right at me, and he got right there before he realized human, and then dodged off. Uh, but, you know, when, when we're thinking about darkness, you know, and I was like, okay, that's funny. But when I think about Think about spiritual darkness. It's, it's way more sobering than that. And there are people that are living, they don't have hope. And, and it's just, they don't know better. This is just their life. And it was like this here in Galilee. And this is where Jesus goes. So in the place where they were supposed to have driven out uh, the people that were against God... Now there's, there's both there, and yet Jesus goes, I am planting here. And he's going to begin to teach and preach and do ministry and do healing, point people to God, and then ultimately he will leave that place, and he will give his life in Jerusalem on a tree and then be buried and then rise from the dead. And lives today. And so a dark place, that place of Galilee, the light was among them. And I know he impacted, not all of them, but there was an impact with Jews and Gentiles because of the ministry and the life, the teachings, the healings, everything of Jesus. It was an impact there. Um, And of course, the ultimate light appearing was, of course, when Christ came to to our, our planet. Now today... The light works through us, his, to his glory, his honor. But for you and I, it's our place to go to the places that are dark and point people to the light. You know, we, this is kind of, quote, this in Jerusalem, but, you know, this is kind of the safe place. The bulk of us here, we, we call on Christ and all. It's kind of a safe place, but when we go out, it gets a little bit darker. And then some of us, some of you could probably testify, hey, where I work, where I go to school, where my neighborhood, all this, it, there's a lot of spiritual darkness there. Well, you were there. So Christ went to a dark place in the land and began ministry. And I believe that's what God wants us to do. So if you're in a dark place, and be encouraged, and it'll be unnerving. You won't have animals running at your feet, probably, but it'll be unnerving, but God is with you, and you're there for a reason. And God can move through you to help impact others for the gospel, that they would see the light. Now, they won't, not everybody who sees it will respond appropriately, or at least not initially. My prayer is when they, if they reject Christ, I'm praying they move towards and at some point they will. That's my prayer with people that I know. But let's look. John three sixteen through 19. Of course, we know uh, this famous passage. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. Verse 19. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So there are going to be some, even in Christ, and we, we, we see it, even in three years of public ministry as teaching the miracles and everything, there were still those who were rejecting the light and ultimately rejecting him, and he was on the cross. So there'll be seasons for us where you will get pushback. You and I will get rejection, but Christ did too. And so let's just continue to persevere and to be willing to continue to point to the light in spite of what's going on. It will point people to the Savior. And this is it, verse 17. When you think about Jesus' three years, From then on, Jesus began to preach. So get that. From then on, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So I think this is, I think, pretty important. We think three years in the public eye, 30 to 33-ish in age. And it says from then on. So even in spite, when we we see the miracles, we see the teachings, we see um, Christ's life. And all through that three years, intertwined in everything he was doing and the ministry that was happening, he was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. And so that message that he's sharing in a community, especially when he was there in the Galilee of the Gentiles, the Gentiles were hearing it, the Jews were hearing it, it was the message, repent. It's the same for all. And that same message, message is today. It's even here today in this moment. Repent. When I think of repent, three things, especially like for me in 1977, coming to faith, repent. Um, My Testimony, after several weeks of wrestling and talking to my parents and talking to my pastor and all this, when it finally clicked and I understood and I, in brokenness and in sorrow, repented. And God had already shown me several examples. You know, when I would uh, disobey my parents or when I would do something that would hurt my parents and it would grieve me when I saw the evidence of that on my parents. And so it gave me a picture that it's even more so when my sin would grieve a holy God. And I'm so grateful that in my moment of repenting of and, and sorrow for my sin and trusting God that he rescued me. So three things here for repent. It means to confess, admit your sins, and that's confession, admit your sins. Express sorrow for your sins, that's contrition. And then turn from your sin, conversion. And so as, as those things happen, and they happen for me in that moment, trusting Christ. Now, on the daily scale, it's, if something comes to mind or if I mean, that was sinful, that was sinful action, words, thought, then that my, my prayer is that I'm quick to react. Um, sometimes I don't notice, and then later the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you need to deal with this. So confession, contrition, conversion. So trust. And we see that pictured in baptism over here, just kind of a symbolic. You're dying to your old self rising new in Christ. He's so faithful. Dr. John Bono, a pastor in New York in World War II, 
Um, got a phone call, landline, for those of you very young with cell phones, we used to use landlines. I guess back then it might have been, I'm not sure. Anyway, he, he got a phone call at his church building, and it was a, an officer who was getting ready to go across the country and then hit the Pacific Theater during World War II. And he asked if he could come by. He had two days leave, and instead of going home on his way to California, he swung into New York because he wanted to talk to the pastor. And so Dr. Bonnell said, okay, come on in. Um, and so it wasn't long before the officer was there, and they were sitting across from each other at the table. And the officer told him, he said, I cannot go into battle in my current state of mind. He said, I've lost my faith. I have doubts. And I don't know what to do. And so Dr. Bottle was listening, and he continued. And then he, and then he said, wait, wait, wait. And he interrupted the young man. And he said, sir... I'm not the slightest interested in your doubts, and I'm not going to waste your time or mine. He said, I want, what I want you to do is tell me about your sins. It was quiet. The young man just sat there, and Dr. Bonnell said, let me ask you a question. Do you have a picture or pictures of your family in your wallet? And he said, he said, I do. He said, can you pull those out? So he pulled out his wallet, pulled the pictures, and he laid them on the table. And so the pictures sat there. And they just looked at him for a minute. And then he broke, and he began to weep. And then he, he shared with his pastor, repentance. It's what he needed. And so when he left that pastor's office, he was ready for what God would have for him in the Pacific Theater. But he needed repentance. That it wasn't that he lost his faith. He was just in sin. So as we reflect on this, our Lord went to a dark place and shared the, his life. And then after his resurrection, the disciples, all the followers, they went in dark places in the world and shared the gospel, some dark enough that... Even in the midst of God moving and people coming to faith, they still ended up giving their lives. But they would say it's worth it. And I think when you and I get to eternity and we get the blessing to meet some of these folks, they will acknowledge that. It was all worth it. He is worth it. So ladies and gentlemen, our great God is worth it. And so may you and I go and share this good news. And we, when we share this, repent, you know, telling people we, they need to repent, we do that humbly because it's something we should be doing daily as well. I want my fellowship with God to be close. But sin makes that fellowship shaky at, at best. And then the longer I'm in, the, the wider the fellowship gap comes. So quickly for us, it's repent. And so I think that message goes today for us. I don't know in comparison to the, the Gentile of the Galilee, the Galilee of the Gentiles, how North Charleston, Charleston, Ladson, Somerville, Ridgeville, all that. I don't know how this compares in terms of darkness, but at least I think in my perspective, it, it's a pretty dark place. Our community needs Jesus Christ. And so um, what, I, what I want to ask all of us to do this week is to take this and just take each day and be very thoughtful about our life and think thoughtful about our words, our actions, our, um, 
everything. And if God is prompting us or something, then confess it and, and be um, restored. And then we're ready for him to move through us in dark places to share the good news of Jesus Christ because there's hope and it's the light of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, come before you and I just want to pause for just a moment because we all come in here uh, with, with life and we, for a lot of times, Lord, we want to unplug for just a little while and to put, give our focus to you. And so for just a moment, I want us just to pray and Lord, would you search our hearts and would you... Um, if there's things you need to reveal or point out, that would you do it? And the Lord, would we do these things? Would we repent? Uh, Lord, would we confess our sins? Would we express grief and sorrow because we've sinned against you, a holy God, our, our heavenly Father? And then, Lord, we turn from our sin. So for a moment, Lord, just search our hearts. Lord God, thank you that even in our rebellion and sin that we can come to you. You who are pure and holy and eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Lord, you would hear our cries. Lord, you would hear our confession. You would hear the brokenness in our hearts over our sin. And Lord, you would forgive. Lord, we thank you for the great provision of salvation through Jesus Christ, who was faithful and obedient his entire life. Both before he got into the public eye and then in his three years of ministry, his faithfulness on all the way to the cross. Lord, because of Christ, we can be forgiven. And so we give our worship and our thanks to you this morning. Lord, we pray that uh, our community, which is dark, needs you. So we pray you would continue to move here in this part of South Carolina, that you would stir hearts, that you would draw people to yourself. Lord, I pray they would see their sin, they would repent, they would seek forgiveness, and they would put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus and become your children. And so, Lord, we pray for a mighty moving of your spirit in our community. And, Lord, we pray you'd work through us, that we would be like Christ in the things we say, the things we think about, the things we do, and that all this for your glory alone. And so, Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.